Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Periodic Talks. Hi, I'm Gillian Jacobs. And I'm Deanna Reasonover. This is Periodic Talks. Each week, we rediscover our passion for science, tech, engineering, math, and this week, radio astronomy. It's STEM for those of us who can't watch Interstellar without Google Breaks. Seriously, I have so many questions. <laughs> What's new? Okay. Normally, these fun STEM facts I share are, they're fun, or they're (laughs) (laughs) exciting, or they make me feel more excited about the world. The one that I'm going to share makes me a little bit afraid of plants, but I also thought it was so fascinating that I had to share it with you. So some this week told me about a plant in Australia that apparently has these poisonous little hairs like fuzz on it. And if you get them on your skin, it causes incredible extreme pain. Um, And the pain can last for weeks, perhaps even months. Bad news also, (laughs) the, the little stinging fuzz can also be airborne. So you don't even need to touch this plant, just be in its proximity. There's an apocryphal story about someone who wiped their butt with this plant. Uh, I don't oh know if it's gosh. true or not, but apparently you really, really don't want to do that. Uh, wait, 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 wait. I have so many questions. All right. What is this plant called? What yes. does it look like? What does apocryphal mean? Okay. So it's called the Gimpy Gimpy plant. It's <laughs> it's in Australia and it kind of has a heart shape, which makes it seem worse somehow. I also laughed when you told me the name of the plant because I think it should be called like the do not touch, stay yes. away from awful plant. You know what I mean? Like yes. just Yeah. So one botanist who studied this plant described the pain as like being burned by hot acid and electrocuted at the same time. How common is this plant? I don't know. I think you aren't going to encounter it day to day in Australia if you're living in a city. But perhaps if you are in a rainforest in Australia, be on the lookout for a heart-shaped plant. Sounds like one of the worst pains that I could imagine. I mean, hot acid, bad. Electrocuted, bad. Together at once, horrifying. Terrible. What is going on with you? So I was reading there was a new carnivorous plant that was identified. Whoa. Yep. 
First one in like 20 years. Whoa, I want to yeah. know more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so first of all, let's go over what a carnivorous plant is. It's a plant that basically gets its nutrients from bugs. Mm-hmm. So instead of getting it from like soil or sunlight, it, it does that too. But it also secretes something that breaks down dead insects and gives it nutrients. Wow. It is called a triantha occidentalis. Whoa, it's very pretty. It's like got um, kind of a little white flower at the end um, that definitely attracts pollinators. But on the stem, it has little sticky hairs that Ooh. trap smaller bugs. And eventually the bugs die and the plant is able to break that bug down to eat it. That is incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just, as you were saying that, I was like, how do they, quote, digest, unquote, um, <laughs> bugs. But yeah, that makes sense that they, they sort of break it down with an enzyme or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. It's it's also like if you ever have run your fingers down like uh, a carnation or like a Gerbera daisy, you know that even though it looks smooth, it does have like little white, like little hairs on mm-hmm. it uh, on the stem. And that's where it traps the bugs. That totally makes sense. That's so fascinating. Wow. Um, so to switch things up a little bit, I got a voice memo this week. Mm. This is uh, from my friend's son. We will call him G. Mm -hmm. Uh, He is six years old uh, and he has a great STEM fact for us. Oh, my God. I can't wait to listen. Um, Okay, will you tell me about a megalodon shark? It is 60 to 70 feet long, actually. Really? Is that is that pretty big? It's like the jaws are like a person could fit, like walk through it. Oh, that sounds really scary. Do you want to say anything else? I like the Velociraptor. Why? Because they have long, sturdy tails. Oh, really? Yes. Are there other dinosaurs that have long, sturdy tails? Um, the T-Rex. Oh, okay. Bye. I think my favorite part of that was the deep sigh before they started the facts. Okay, tell me about this. <sighs> well, and it was like such a classic little kid thing of like, this adult is making me talk about this thing that I know everything about. Fine. I will enlighten you. I will actually say, because I know he's listening to this podcast, it's because I was being a perfectionist and I made him retake that four times. That kid is so cute. He's the best. Okay, let me tell you something right quick. Let me tell you something about this kid. First of all, he's so cool because every time I see him, he's got a new book and we read it together for a little bit. Mm. And also we went on a little like... um trip like all of our friends um in like a big group and he brought a dinosaur book and he showed me all his favorite dinosaurs and we like we talked about our favorite dinosaurs and we had just done the dinosaurs are tiny birds episode and he Mm -hmm. had listened to it so we got to talk about that Mm. it's been really fun having him as a friend i'm so glad that he's my friend that is so sweet and also i love hearing a kid say that a dinosaur has a sturdy tail for some reason that just cracked me up is a long and sturdy tail (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, we should talk about this week's episode. Oh, yes, please. This week, we're talking to Nicole Gallucci. She's an astronomer and radio astronomer that teaches at St. Anselm's College in New Hampshire. 
first, we go really hard into learning about radio astronomy. We really need to cover some basic questions and relearn what we thought we knew about radio waves. And then later, we got some astronomy tips from Nicole because uh, Deanna and I went to see a meteor shower. We recorded our little field trip and we're going to play it for you later. It really was a little field trip. We had permission slips. Somebody uh-huh. threw up on the bus. Deanna brought snacks. And then, then somebody threw up on them on the bus. <laughs> and it didn't go according to plan. Is that safe to say? Yeah, I'm joking about the bus stuff, but it really did not go according to plan. You'll you'll see. <laughs> but first, let's go to our interview with Nicole Gallucci. Our standard uh, first question is about people's uh, work playlist, but your work involves listening. Oh! So I don't think Not you always. can play music. Yeah, there's a lot oh. of, um, I mean, okay. there, yeah, there's a lot of, um, I mean, there's, a, it depends on what I'm doing. Uh, if I'm doing, so I, a bulk of my time is teaching. So if I'm getting ready for, t- for class or if I'm, you know, scanning through assignments, uh, you know, just checking, you know, check boxes or something, I will usually have TV on in the background, but it has to be something I've seen like 8,000 times. <laughs> Um, and Star Trek DS9 is the current one <laughs> um, cool. because that is fantastic. Um, if I'm actually working on something that involves more thought process, um, I just listen to, I just try and find songs that have absolutely no words in them, no lyrics, just like electronica background kind of stuff. Uh, nice. Uh, Spotify's chill lo-fi study beats is what Ooh. that is for me. Ooh, that sounds good. I should try that. What is the planet, moon, or meteor you would most like to visit? Oh, my gosh. Most like to visit? Mm. It's funny. I used to dream about being an astronaut when I was a little kid, and then I just kind of got over it because my eyesight's terrible. (laughs) And I knew I wasn't going to space. Oh, man. You know, I think my favorite one... Ah, this is hard. I would like to go to Europa um, because yeah. of the possibility, you know, the very strong possibility of there being a subsurface ocean, um, which could potentially harbor life forms. I think just scientifically, that'd be the coolest place to go. None of them really sound like a nice vacation spot. Um, they don't <laughs> sound very habitable. <laughs> but, you know, I think I think going to Europa would be cool for that. Uh, that's awesome. And just for our listeners, we've talked about this a little bit before, but Europa is one of the moons that orbits Jupiter. It's one of the Galilean moons. Remember, here we are. We're always back to Jupiter. Yes. This is a recurring theme for us. Uh, it really is. <laughs> we should get the Jupiter. song Drops of Jupiter. For our <laughs> yes. <theme> <laughs> okay. So we are so fascinated by your work and your area of study. So can you help introduce our listeners to radio astronomy? What is it? Sure. Um, Radio astronomy is the coolest thing I know. Um, It's (laughs) a way of observing the universe um, with telescopes that act more like your, you know, uh, FM radio antenna or your TV satellite dish. I don't know if people have those still. Um, (laughs) That um, using that to explore what's happening in the universe. So you're detecting radio waves from uh, certain processes going on in the universe. 
and radio astronomy got its start in early in the 20th century. So it was kind of like the second type of, of observational astronomy after visual. And it opened up this whole new world of ways to study supermassive black holes and gas clouds and, and planet formation and all that cool stuff. For listeners who've never heard of this concept of radio plus astronomy, how would you describe your job in the simplest terms? Um, I would say for for the for radio astronomy, I look at um, what's happening in the universe using an invisible form of light. I kind of always start with invisible light. Um, radio is not the only example, but it kind of opens up this whole idea of there's stars you can see, but there's other things happening in the universe that we can't see with the type of light our eyes can see. So, you know, studying what's happening in the universe with invisible light is kind of where I start it. But most of the time I'm actually teaching and or grading. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. This is Tamika, the producer. Can you give us a brief description of invisible light? Oh, yeah. So invisible light is, I, I use that term for any kind of light that isn't visible to our eyes. So our eyes have evolved and adapted to detect light in a certain, you know, narrow range. Turns out to be the range where the sun is the brightest. Mm. Not surprising when you think about it, like, oh, that's the light that was available. Um, everything else is invisible to us. Um, but we can detect it through other means. So that's radio, that's infrared, that's ultraviolet, X-ray, gamma ray, microwave, which is sometimes considered a subset of radio. Um, all of those are also light, but they're light that our eyes can't detect. So um, we're talking about FM radios and we're talking about radio waves. And mm -hmm. when I think of radio waves, I automatically think of sound. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that's not necessarily right in this particular application. So right. in the simplest term, can you break down what's a radio wave? It's a type of wave that can move through empty space. Pretty much every other wave that, you know, we come in contact with in our everyday life, you know, ocean waves, sound waves, those actually need to move through stuff in order to move as a wave. So sound waves, for example, are these pressure waves through air or water or whatever medium um, you're in, um, mostly air for us. <laughs> but you don't get that um, with light. Light can go through air, but light can also go through total empty space. So they're, they're entirely different physical phenomena. Of course, we all listen to the radio. So we think of radio waves as something we must listen to. Um, and that's like literally everyone, you know, it's, it's, it's the hardest concept of all <laughs> to be like, no, radio waves are light. Um, but what's happening is your, your piece of equipment that you call a radio, what it's doing with the antenna, it's detecting the radio waves, which are a low energy form of light, detecting those waves and kind of transcribing the information that comes over those waves. And if you're listening to an FM radio station and then it, turns that information, and then it puts it out as sound. So your device, the radio, is the thing that makes sound waves that you hear, but the thing that's called the radio wave that it detects is actually light. Okay, okay. that's super clarifying. Thank you. Yeah. I'm going to say something that is very obvious, but it's just now occurred to me in this interview. Radio waves are a naturally occurring 
thing in the universe. And we as humans at some point developed a technology to take use of the fact that radio waves exist to transmit sound. Yes, exactly. Okay. Uh, maybe that should have occurred to me before we did this interview, but I honestly never thought about the fact that radio waves existed before radios. Why would that have occurred to you? We're learning. We're learning. We're We're learning. learning. Did you ever learn about astronomy that doesn't involve like telescopes and satellites and images? Did you ever learn about listening as part of an astronomy growing up? Absolutely not. No. That whole segment that you heard was you just heard me learning things. Yes, same. Yeah, it was. It it truly was. And it's great. And sometimes I will admit this is a little bit off topic. It is hard to learn in front of people Mm. because I think I don't want to seem like I'm failing or like I haven't done research or goodness forbid I'm not smart. But um, you learn when you learn. You learn when you learn. And also I have realized that It helps me if I repeat back what I think the guest has said. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they can be like, oh, no, hold on. (laughs) that was wrong. Okay, so can you go over a little bit? How does radio astronomy work? How are we able to um, observe things like gas clouds and Mm -hmm. black holes using FM radios? Yeah, so so FM radios, you think of, uh, usually it's like a long antenna type thing, right? With really, uh, we say long wavelength radio, that's appropriate. Um, but traditionally, radio telescopes um, have this, you know, dish shape. Um, you know, I'm going to reference the, the movie of radio astronomy, well, one of the radio astronomy movies, which is Contact. Um, I was going to ask yes. you how often do people <laughs> say to you, like the movie Contact? Yes. <laughs> yes. So that movie, no joke, is what put me on the path to becoming an astronomer. Uh, really? When I saw that as a kid, like kid early teen, tween, whatever. Um, And yeah, and it stuck with me ever since. And I now can watch the movie and basically speak along the lines with it because, yeah, (laughs) I've seen it so many times. But that's a great, it's a great example, this huge array of dishes in the desert New Mexico. It's called the Very Large Array. It's now called the Carl G. Jansky Very Large Array. Um, They collect light in those dishes kind of like, an optical telescope collects light with a mirror. And then in an optical telescope, if you've ever seen the inside of one, the mirror is kind of curved, so it can focus all the light and direct it to a certain path that, you know, goes to the eyepiece, so you could put your eye up to it, or a camera. Radio telescopes, those dishes do the same thing. They reflect it to a receiver, which deep down, you know, has has these uh, metal poles or metal wires. And... The fun thing that happens is that radio waves excite the electrons in these little metal receivers and cause them to like bing, 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 bing back and forth. And that is how it actually detects the signal. That's the most basic, at the most basic level, it's it's causing the electrons to move around in this, in this little piece of metal. You get from that to images with something like the Very Large Array because you take the data from all 27 antennas looking at the same place at the same time, do some fantastic math involving Fourier transforms, and you can make an image of the sky out of that. Got it. Got yeah. it. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> wow. So, you know, we tend to think about the universe in terms of 
what we can visually see. Mm-hmm. But what are the non-visible phenomena that you're most interested in? Yeah, um, for me, it was always black holes. I say this as someone who's interested in what happens outside a black hole. I'm not as good at the stuff that happens inside of black holes. I'm sure you've heard before, we don't entirely know what happens inside a black hole, but there's this whole quantum gravity thing. uh, And two of my colleagues work on that and they're like super cool with that. And I'm like, that don't understand any of that. I (laughs) care about what's happening outside. Um, These super massive black holes live in the center of galaxies when material from that galaxy falls into the black hole or tries to all fall into the black hole at once. It heats up and spins around outside the black hole, making something we call an accretion disk. And that disk glows in you know, radio, x-ray, all these things. Um, But the radio in particular from these disks and also from jets of material that sometimes get spewn forth from them. I don't think spewn's a word, but we're going to use it. Um, (laughs) That is sometimes so bright that we can see these objects much further in the universe than we can see the visible light from the galaxy itself because they've got these like monstrous um, black holes, you know, this, this, this really energetic environment around them. Okay. So I'm going to recap, sorry to interrupt what you said earlier. So, so there are things like phenomena happening around a black hole Mm -hmm. that is giving off energy and a frequency Mm -hmm. that we can't see visually with say a telescope, but what it's giving off energetically or frequency wise, you can detect using these big antenna. Right. Right. Okay. So I like to liken it to, so if you turn on a light bulb, you see the light from the light bulb. If you turn on a Wi-Fi transmitter, you don't see the radio waves, but it is actually giving Mm. off radio light. And if you had radio telescope eyes, your Wi-Fi transmitter or your Bluetooth device, they'd all be kind of glowing um, in that radio light. Got it. Wow. I like to imagine antenna eyes. It just (laughs) makes me happy to imagine having antenna eyes and what it would look like. That's really (laughs) fascinating. Huh. Okay, let's pause the conversation and take a quick break. We'll be right back. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. And we're back. Why is it so important for us to engage in these non-optical ways to observe the universe? A lot of these things help put together, and this isn't just radio, this is all across the electromagnetic spectrum. There are telescopes that focus in infrared, in ultraviolet, in x-ray, in gamma ray, which is like the highest energy type of light. And astrophysical objects, sometimes you can see different objects in different wavelengths, Um, Sometimes you can see different processes in different wavelengths. The sun is a great example because the sun, which you should never, ever, 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 ever look at with your (laughs) naked, unprotected eye, please 
disclaimer. But if you have an <laughs> optical, I don't want to get in trouble. Uh, if you have like an optical imaging instrument that can like look at the surface of the sun, it probably looks mostly like the whole thing's giving off light uniformly. Um, there might be some little spots on it called sunspots. But if you look at the sun with an x-ray telescope, you're going to see something completely different. You're going to see the hotter gas that's in the outer atmosphere of the sun. You're going to see processes from what we call the corona um, or using ultraviolet light from the chromosphere. So you can actually see these different atmospheric layers of the sun because they're at different temperatures. They have different stuff going on. There's this... um, great little satellite that is close to my heart because I was at its launch um, called uh, the Solar Dynamics Observatory that does just that. It has ultraviolet and x-ray telescopes on it, stares at the sun all the time, um, and you can look at what the sun looks like through each of these different frequencies. And so sun being very important because scientists can put that together, put all that information together and kind of try and track and predict when the sun's going to be really active because Mm. we know that solar flares can do things like mess with our satellites or electronics on Earth. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So I'm thinking about, uh, sorry. Okay. (laughs) This is me having my mind expand in real time. (laughs) So your work also is telling us about the effects that the sun, other planets, black hole, the effects that they're having on Earth, perhaps, that aren't visible to us. Are you learning about the Earth in addition to learning about what's happening outside of the Earth? That's definitely the case with solar astronomy. That's less the case with with other things. They're too far away for... Um, that, you know, electromagnetic radiation to really affect us in the way that stuff from the sun does, for example. Got it. But you can learn some things about the origin of the Earth by looking Mm -hmm. at planet formation around stars. So stars are born in these, like, cocoons of gas and dust, and the dust blocks most of the visible light, so we can't see what's happening in there. So we need infrared and radio telescopes to peer through and see how the star's forming. And as the star's forming, you might also have a solar system forming um, Hmm. with planets forming around it. Okay, let's uh, circle back to radio waves. So it can help us observe the universe. And I read that we can use radio waves to actually listen to meteors. Can you just break that down for us? How does that work? Sure. So August is the Perseid meteor shower, which is one of the best visually. And it's also one of the best weather-wise, like the other ones in November. And depending on what latitude you're at, it's less fun to be outside at 2 a.m. in November. (laughs) (laughs) More people do it in August. Um, But these meteor showers are... Times when, you know, stuff, space debris, um, typically left over from a comet that has passed by, um, the Earth goes through this debris field and we see these, call them shooting stars, uh, but they're actually little pieces of dust and rocks and bits of space, natural space junk, I guess, that comes through the atmosphere and the, the, you know, pressure and heat of that makes it such that it's glowing. And so we see this like little wee shooting star. We used to see a lot more of them during a meteor shower. But these meteors, when they go through the atmosphere, they also do something funky. They leave behind an ion trail. Hmm. So an ion 
is just a charged particle, right? So um, you've ever, you know, done the whole rub the balloon on your head and watch your hair stick to the balloon. That's because you've got, you're moving charged particles from one place to another. These charged particles in the atmosphere are really good at reflecting radio waves. So you can hear, quote unquote, when there's a meteor, because you can detect a reflection of a radio wave off of that trail. So the really easy, you know, beginner way to do this is to get an FM radio and find a spot on the radio spectrum where there's no nearby station, which is, I grew up, I grew up in New York, so like that was impossible. Um, <laughs> I was able to do it later in life. Um, like there's, there's no empty space in the spectrum there. Uh, but like, you know, put it between stations where you just barely hear a faint distant station. And during that meteor shower, every once in a while, you'll hear that station suddenly come through clear for like a second or two. Because the transmission from that radio station has reflected off and gone further than it would have otherwise. So it's, it's pure chance, um, but it's, it's kind of a fun activity to do. There are actually dedicated instruments that people build to do this, and often they need a transmitter. They used to use television signals, but digital <laughs> television no longer uses that part of the radio spectrum, uh. um, which is great for radio astronomy because we can see more stuff and it's bad for this particular <laughs> thing because they were actually reflecting those signals off. Um, but you can, there are some like live streams on the internet where they have uh, a system going and you can listen to it and, you know, it'll be like, it'll be crackling like static and like, and then you hear like, you know, or some some weird tone or some weird sound when they actually <laughs> detect um, the meteor going by. Oh, that's really cool. So we're about to go look at a meteor shower mm-hmm. for the podcast, right? Whoop. We're doing a very special episode. Uh, so we were hoping that you could give us some tips. So let's let's just do visually first. So mm-hmm. How can we maximize our visual experience of the meteor shower? Sure. So if you want to maximize your experience, the best thing is to, to get yourself in a comfortable position on like a blanket or like a chair that leans back, something that lets your vision just widen up and see the whole sky. Mm. So these things are generally going to co- look like they come from one direction, um, usually the direction of the constellation it's named after. So you want to face, you probably want to face that way, but keep your vision open to the whole sky because things happen all over the place. Yeah, that that's the best, that's the best way to experience it visually. Otherwise, you know, having a friend to goof off with is, you know, super great, especially if you get, you know, bombarded by clouds or something annoying like that. Um, Yeah. Or, you know, whatever you can do to just relax and see the whole sky like that. That's the best way. And uh, I I heard um, another podcast where you mentioned keeping your phone screen very dim and as red as possible. Oh, yeah. I'm so curious why. I understand the dimness, Mm -hmm. but can you explain the redness? I think it's because our eyes aren't as the the thinking is that our eyes don't respond as much to red light and so it doesn't saturate the you know light detectors in our eyes as much hmm. um so that we can you know but still a bright red light's still going to suck so dim and red the the combination of those um makes it such that it's you're you're not going to ruin your dark adapted vision 
Uh, mm. And there are lots mm. of apps that'll do that on your phone. For for my observatory that I, I teach at, we put you know red cellophane over everyone's flashlights. I'm like, please don't lose use your phone flashlight here. I will hand you one with red cellophane on it. But then there are some apps that'll dim your screen like that, which makes it possible to, you know, look up stuff uh, while you're, you know, and not ruin your night vision. So you can still see the fainter things. And we want to also go over any tips that you have for us to listen to the shower, because we are going to try to listen with an FM radio to see if it works. I would say just, you know, give it a try. Pick a station that's barely there. If you're not getting any results, you can just try another frequency. And then, uh, you know, you can always listen in on some of the live streams on the Internet where people have uh, set up specifically for this kind of thing. It's not the same as hearing just the radio station. You just hear like the boop. Um, (laughs) But that's kind of cool to have playing in the background if you're while you're watching. Now, how important is patience when you're kind of at a meteor shower? That's definitely important. That's why uh, the getting yourself in a comfortable position and just chilling out is probably the best. So I say this because I, I am a person who has a very hard time chilling out. <laughs> but, you know, being under the stars is always a nice calming effect for me um, as well. So mm-hmm. patience is good. I know... Um, I probably tested my mother's patience when I was a kid trying to like keep keeping her up to 2 a.m. to see a meteor shower when we were living in Staten Island, New York, which was a terrible idea. We didn't see a thing. Um, But she was like, "Okay, it's cool. We tried. Uh, She was very patient with me. (laughs) So, yeah, patience with astronomy, with particularly the weather around astronomy uh, is definitely a virtue that takes some time to cultivate that I have yet to master. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you so much for this interview. Yeah, this is exciting. Thank you. Awesome. Just one last break, and then we'll be right back. And we're back. So if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know Gillian and I record the show from our homes in separate locations. We've literally only been in the same room once or twice for the pilot. (laughs) Yes, yes. Once for the pilot and then for this trip. So we have such a long list of things we want to do together and we finally crossed one thing off our list. We went on a late summer field trip to see a meteor shower. The whole crew came. Me, Gillian, Tamika, our producer, and our audio engineer, Brendan. The four of us drove up to the San Gabriel Mountains. We got over 3,000 feet in elevation so that we could see the night sky more clearly, just so we could see the shower. So we recorded the trip, and we're going to play that in just a little bit. Yes, but just a little setup for the audio. So we had just pulled into a parking area, and we brought out some beach chairs to sit back and watch the night sky. And just so you know, because this was literally taken live, a couple things took us by surprise. So there are a few adult words in there. Uh, we have beeped them, but just so you know, they are there. And you're going to hear cars on and off in the distance because apparently people like to drag race up and down the mountain on Saturday nights. Uh, suffice <laughs> it to say, things did not go as planned. <laughs> yeah. Between the cars and us, I would like... Lo- to call this the fast and the curious. 
Bravo for that. Thank you. Okay. Uh, I'm very excited to listen back to it. Uh, Almost nothing went the way we thought it would, but it was a lot of fun. Yes. Let's play the audio. There's the Big Dipper. Oh, my God. Yes. Big, right? Yeah. Are we supposed to see, like, more activity? What'd you say? Are we supposed to see more activity? I have no idea. I've never been to a meteor shower. <laughs> I, I, I have vague memories of I saw one, but, I mean, I think it's pretty cool that I could see the Big Dipper. I'll take that. Where is it? Right there. Oh. There's the handle. Yeah, I see it. Oh, oh, oh! Oh, Did you see that? No. Oh my god. That was terrifying. What happened? It was a meteor. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I gotta look in this direction now. Well, that was... It it, it was terrifying, actually. Really? What did it look like? It was like a big white streak in the, in the... Sky all of a sudden. I'm so jealous that you saw one. <laughs> but all it did in true Diana fashion was scare me. <laughs> because of how fast it was moving, or what? What was the? It was just very sudden. You know, there was just like no warning, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden there was just this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it, it felt like I was watching um, an alien. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, I'm sitting. Okay. I feel like I should sit, but I'm. Too hyped. <laughs> you want it to lay out flat? Yeah. There, you, there we go. Yeah. There it is. And those also um, lay flat too. Cool. So if I remember the interview correctly, what we're seeing are bits of like meteors that are burning up in our Earth's atmosphere. Yes, space rock and uh, junk. Yes, it's in the trail of a comet. Nice memory. Oh, thank you. <laughs> this, I believe, is um, this is the Perseids, so it points towards Perseus. Is that right? Yeah. I yes. Think so. Okay, can I remember anything about Perseus? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I'm so I'm so dumb. I know who Perseus is now. What? Uh, he's the guy that invented coach purses. <laughs> I can't believe y'all are still laughing. <laughs> it was a slow burn joke. <laughs> How does it feel of seeing each other for the first time in two <laughs> Oh, <years>? yes! <laughs> it's such an odd thing because we spent so much time together, but not in a physical realm. I so. do. 
and ironically, um, now I'm even though I'm here next to you, I'm still not staring at you. I know we also <laughs> chose to spend the time together at night. Yeah. <laughs> I want to hear everyone's most like surprising job that you've ever had. Ooh. Gianna, what was your most surprising job? Uh, I was a shoe salesman person. Ooh. I loved it. Cool. Yeah, it was great. I, uh, I could get. I used to be able to look at people's feet, especially men's feet, and just guess their shoe size. Because um, if you could get them, oh, yeah. Sorry, did you see that? There's a fox. Right there. It was what? A fox. A fox. Probably just down below the hill. Oh my wow. goodness. Your vision is great. Well, have... the light flashed on it for just a second and I saw it. Jeez. You, should I shine my light to make it go away? <laughs> uh, gonna bother us. Yeah, I don't think. Okay. I think probably the sound of these cars is scaring. Okay. Maybe. Oh my god, oh, there it's still is. there. Oh my god, it's still there. It's right there. I'm not even kidding. Is it staring at me? Should I shine a light on it? Yeah, go yeah. ahead. Okay, let's... Oh, God, it's gone. It okay. was right there. Wow. <laughs> okay. It's just down. Oh, yeah. Oh, you're cute. Oh, hi. You have big ears. We should Hi. probably not scare it. Yeah, let's just go away. <laughs> let's just leave you alone. <laughs> Poor fox. Although it is wild that it was there for so long. Here comes a car. the expectations versus reality version of this where like we thought we were gonna be in complete silence I know. In, in the middle of nowhere versus we're at a drag race track <laughs> I see another beautiful plane yes <laughs> oh yeah I see the plane this is pretty remarkable, though. Mm -hmm. Yes. Just the sky is really incredible. Yeah. I have sort of given up on looking at the meteors because now I'm a little concerned about foxes and cars. Oh, <laughs> yes. Okay. No, no, no. But we don't have to stop. I'm just telling you I'm taking a brief break. Fair. Right. Fair. Okay. So, <laughs> so I'm curious... Um, Yeah, I mean, we've taped quite a bit of the show now, and it's its own, it's its own thing now. You know, we've been shaping it for a while. What do you think making this show is going to be like? And did it kind of match your expectations? I think I thought the interviews would just be more factual. Hmm. So maybe the yeah, getting to know the people we're interviewing more personally has been like a really fun. Oh shoot! Oh. <laughs> Okay. All right. <laughs> what happened? What happened? The fox. It was just the fox. It was like right here. Oh, it was. Yes. Oh wow. It is trying to check the car Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Do you want to wrap? 
I'm I'm okay if yeah. you like. Yeah, we can, yeah, we can wrap. We can yeah. wrap. Uh, we, we really wrap. tried. We really tried. We did <laughs> I think we did a great job, honestly. I'm thrilled. Um, I'm so proud of us. I'm Guys, well, you know what? We are learning a lot about... <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I'm, I can't get the um, chair to fold up. No, 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 no. It's okay. It's okay. I got it. I know. I'm about to throw this thing out. <laughs> Leave it. Yay. Oh my God. That was hilarious to hear it back. <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah. <laughs> I will take this as being a really good example of ultimately what I want for the podcast, which is I want to, you know, I want to learn. I want, I want things to be in the spirit of learning, even if they're not in the spirit of perfection. Absolutely. And you know what? We really tried, listeners. We really tried. We planned this trip for so long. <laughs> and we did a whole interview, you know, with a radio astronomer to mm-hmm. prep for it. Deanna mm-hmm. had incredible vegan snacks. Um, I found a cobweb-filled beach chair from my garage. <laughs> we, we did so much. We drove... And we were driving and driving and driving up this mountain and it, and it felt like it was going to be so remote. But as Deanna qu- quite accurately said before we even left, um, guys, people like to drive really fast up and down <laughs> this mountain and you have <laughs> never been more correct. <laughs> it's, it's really hard. If you, Okay, so one, if, you, if we sound muffled, we're wearing COVID masks just to yes. make sure, you know, that we're being safe. Um, but two, it's really hard. To, it, it seems like we're like freaking out over nothing. But if you can just imagine being on a very nice, um, very spacious uh, cutout uh, off the side of a mountain where people are very much doing donuts yes. and <laughs> ripping down the side of the mountain uh, at top speeds. That's, that's truly what it was. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think Tamika cut out. Uh, probably like 20 minutes of just car noises from that edit because it was pretty much continuous and we'd had this whole thing about, okay, we're going to have our night vision and we're not going to look at any lights and we should uh, like get an app for our phones so it doesn't disrupt our night vision. And then we just have like headlights cutting through every 10 seconds. Yeah, absolutely. I was was absolutely (laughs) staring at what I think was a Ford Fiesta (laughs) That had been souped up to an inch of its life, you know, like directly into the high beams of it. So my night vision was totally shot. You know, we had great plans to also try and listen to this meteor shower using an FM radio. We'd done this terrific interview all about radio astronomy. And I think uh, we got a little flustered by this fox and I called it a night. It's also funny listening back that my instinct was to go tell the fox that it was cute. Like it was a dog I saw on a walk. Like... (laughs) I would love to talk to somebody. Okay, so coming back to this, I would love to talk to somebody and figure out what that fox was trying to do. And yeah, maybe eat us. I I should be clear. We did. Yes, we keep talking about the snacks. We did have snacks. People are going to be like, the fox was going for the snacks. But we had actually, in what I thought was being responsible, eaten the snacks rather quickly and put them away in the car. Maybe, I don't know, maybe this was a vegan fox. Maybe, yeah, or its sense of smell is so keen that it it smelled it, even though we'd put them away. I don't know. I also somehow missed the fox every single time. 
That fox was staring at you. <laughs> and thank goodness you were all there because I was oblivious. I was so intently trying to see a meteor. I, I, I saw one. I, I, I think it's a success. I saw one. Should we wrap? I think we should. Okay. Dear listeners, we have a little bit of an announcement to make. Yes. This is going to be the last episode of Periodic Talks. We have had so much fun doing this podcast and... Oh. <laughs> I know. I know. I'll, I'll start talking and interrupt me whenever you want. This podcast has been such an incredible experience for me. I want to thank you, Deanna. Thank you, Tamika. Thank you, Brendan. Everyone who worked on the show, who helped us make the show, and especially to all of you listeners, knowing that you got inspired listening to these episodes, more curious about the world, and maybe rediscovered a little bit of your love of science or technology, got curious about space. It's meant so much to me. I know that I'm going to continue to look at the world around me in a new way because of this show. I'm going <laughs> to find new birds to text you and Tamika. <laughs> I'm going to keep you. Don't worry. I'm going to keep you updated on the progress of the poop caterpillars. Um, <laughs> any hummingbirds that I see along the way. And I hope you, dear listeners, do the same in your own lives. Look out your window, look at the plants and animals around you in a new way. And thank you so much for listening. It's truly been an honor. This podcast is produced by Tamika Weatherspoon. Our engineering and theme music is by Brendan Burns. Our editor is Tracy Samuelson, and we get research assistance from Juliana Torres. Our executive producers are Peter Clowney and Josephine Martirana. Periodic Talks is a production of Stitcher. Stitcher. 